When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to the Can't Believe podcast. My name is Dan Rowlands and I'm your host for this afternoon's show, joined by John Townley, fresh from the Tottenham Hotspur Airport. John, how was your journey? <laughs> yeah, really good, mate. It was, um, yeah, I, wow. I, I've been um, kind of struggling to piece it together this morning, even still. like, Yeah, it was just a 2-1 and yeah, Villa won a lot of games, so it was just another win, but just felt different <laughs> yesterday. Like, I was, um, for those 30 minutes from, you know, as soon as Watkins scored on the hour mark up until 90 minutes, I was I was a state. <laughs> Fresh marks, I really was. <laughs> I'm not very good to sit next to. Um, the reporters who sit next to me all know that as well. I, I do get a bit emotional still, um, even though it's the job and whatever. But do you celebrate? Yeah, <laughs> no, you can't celebrate. That's that's unprofessional celebrating. Um, I said I don't celebrate. You know, you, you give it a bit of a fist bump, and um, it's obviously a very large stadium, so you can get away with uh, <laughs> doing some things. But um, yeah, just. Wow, I'm still kind of working on adrenaline at the moment. I just didn't have much sleep and I, I don't want to have much sleep. You want to kind of make the most of it. And yeah, it just felt like a massive win. You know, we, we came into the game. This isn't answering your question about the airport, by the way. I'm, I know I'm going off on a tangent, but we came into the game thinking, oh, Villa can win this, can't they? Um, you look at mm-hmm. the team that came out for Tottenham. I don't think they had a centre-back on the team sheet. And I thought, I was even more confident then. I thought, well, yeah, Villa can win this 2-0. You know, they can come away and um, have a you know massive three points. And the way the game was going, it wasn't <laughs> going in that way, especially in the first half. Um, so, yeah, to kind of feel that emotion of having, you know, not having your best performance, but then coming away with, with the win against a team who I think will be up there. Tottenham kind of got more respect from me in that game than what I think I would have given them previously, if that makes sense, because I still mm. think they played very well with a very, very depleted team. So, yeah, I'm just, I'm buzzing, mate. Just fantastic win. I haven't felt like that probably since I cried uh, when Bertrand Troy scored against Leicester. <laughs> I should clarify for those that didn't watch the Inside Bodymore show when I referenced Tottenham being an airport. That's not a disrespectful thing, though. It does sound like it. <laughs> no, no, no. You said that the new shiny stadium reminded you of an airport for some reason. Obviously, you've been there now, you've yeah. experienced it. Did it live up to that? It's a fantastic stadium. I mean, they spent, I don't know how much it was, was it like a billion pounds or something? So it was always going to be good, yeah. but crazy. Like you'd think Elon Musk a bit with it on Mars or something. It's, um, I mean, I still, Villa Park's my favourite stadium and I don't think that'll ever change because it's just so traditional for um, separate stands. I know that's going to change quite soon, yeah. um, but it's it's got so much like heritage and whatever with it, whereas Tottenham's is very new and it's, it's very, reminds me of Wembley because it's um it's got that bowl feel to it and it kind of keeps mm. the atmosphere within the stadium still so it, it's a very good ground um 
but yeah, it's like a small Wembley, I suppose. Very modern. All the facilities are top-notch. And I didn't go in the concourse or anything, but <laughs> I presume that they wouldn't be having any complaints from supporters about that stuff. But uh, yeah, it was a great experience to go there. And as I say, even better just, just to win that stadium two years in a row now. Fantastic afternoon in North London. I'm trying to get the airport thing going by. You've arrived back in Birmingham. You landed in three <laughs> points in the departure lounge or something. I can't really make it work. There is There is a line in there somewhere. Uh, just an unbelievable win, isn't it? I'm still with you, kind of like buzzing off the adrenaline of what, you know, what just happened there. Because as you say, the first half, I was fully prepared yesterday as we were recording this. It was my birthday. Thanks to everyone who left lovely comments, by the way. I thought if we lose, I probably can get away with not doing the podcast because I can just say, oh, I will just do it on Monday. Um, and the way the first half was going, I thought, oh, this is not, this is not how I thought this was going to play out. When I saw the Spurs team sheet, I thought exactly the same as you wow, that team is depleted. We can really get at these. And that's not how the game went for the first half. And we were lucky to be in at one all at half time, as I said yesterday. The fact that we went on to win in the way we did in the end was like, okay, I've got to do a podcast. I've got to jump on. Got Neil on with me. I, I made an error on the thumbnail. My mic wasn't plugged in for the first five minutes. It was a total mess, to be honest. But we had to like buzz off the vibes of like, oh, I've actually just beat like a good team. It feels two ways to me. Like, it's this impressive thing that Villa have done and we should be proud of it and happy with it. And we are. But also like, well, that's what Villa do. It's a very strange feeling. Yeah, it is a weird feeling. I'm thinking <laughs> myself, well, you know, everyone kind of, sorry, not everyone puts his favourites. We weren't even the bookies favourites, but I think a lot of Villa fans were very hopeful, should we say, going to Tottenham. And mm. I said in the previous podcast, I wouldn't take a draw. And I, I still stuck by that, even when Spurs scored, because I just thought this is a game that's so manic and bizarre. There's no control on it. You don't know what's going to happen. Mm. and But it makes it all the sweeter than it when Villa you know, we had to suffer so much in that game. It was probably 35 to 40 minutes of the first half that we were on the back foot, really. I know we had a few chances ourselves. ourselves, And then obviously the second half of 30 minutes after Watkins scored as well. So for, I don't know, about a good hour, I think everyone was just a bit of an emotional wreck, to be honest. <laughs> because we just knew how much that win, you know, is going to help us mm. in the course of a season. That three points, yes, Villa, you know, earned it in a certain way, but you know, let's not kid ourselves. We probably didn't deserve to win that game. Not that that matters. I'm not saying it does, but that's the three points where it's almost like a bonus now. Tottenham are almost three points down and they're three points up in a game that really could have gone any other way. Yeah. Tottenham could have been tuning up in the first half. And I think that would probably be lights out for Villa, although we didn't give up in the game anyway. But it's just, it's a whole nother, you know, complex coming down from two goals. Um, you know, who knows what would have happened, for example, in the Liverpool game when I think we were 1-0 down and we had a couple of chances, a couple of half chances, and we didn't take them. Liverpool win 3-0 in the end. Um, similar to the Newcastle game as well, I suppose, in some ways. We didn't take our chance when Matt Cash should have, uh, I think, levelled it up. Um, didn't happen and we'd go and lose 5-1. So the, these are the fine margins at the top level. And Villa know this. And it's just nice to be on the other end of it this time, especially away from home, especially away away against the team who, as I said, they've earned more respect for me, to be fair now, Tottenham. I think they will be up there because of the way that they played. If they added a Van der Ven, Romero, Madison, you know, other players as well, that would have been a very difficult game to play in. And yeah. to be honest yeah. with you, I don't think many teams will beat Tottenham this season at their stadium when they've got 11 men, put it that way. Obviously, the Chelsea game was a complete, not a write-off because three points is three points for them, but um, they played against nine men, didn't they? And Spurs' Spurs's line was so high, it was almost you know suicidal. But um, yeah, I think Ange maybe changed a few things yesterday. I don't think their line was, was as high as what it had been. Mm. Um, so yeah. I think they probably showed a bit more respect to Villa, to be fair. But yeah, I 
we'll probably go on record so I don't think Spurs will lose at home playing with 11 men apart from Villa I think that's like relatively likely we probably gave them one of their tougher games in terms of mm-hmm. um I mean obviously we've won the game but you know they're always going to have chances and whatnot it's just nice to see that we you know we had to suffer and we get out with three points though it's um something that I haven't seen Villa do uh you know we've seen Villa do a lot of, do a lot of things under Emery don't get me wrong but um yeah that just felt like a massive win and especially as it takes you into the top four I suppose as well I think Spurs played differently than people probably expected as well with Son Johnson and Gill as a, as a front three Kulisewski playing more centrally uh, as like a as an eight I suppose that's probably something that most people wouldn't have expected and it, I thought it was probably difficult for Villa to prepare for that game with the amount of suspensions and injuries that they had what lineup Spurs were going to play was one thing. How they're going to play with the ball, how high they're going to play is a totally different thing. And I don't think people have been prepared for Gil Johnson and Son as a front three and Kulisevsky slightly deeper and slightly central. I, 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 that's not how I thought it would go. So I almost felt maybe for the first 15, 20 minutes or so that Villa were just trying to work things out on the fly. And I almost yep. wanted to give Villa credit in a way that, well, they're not playing badly because we're bad. It's just we're trying to adapt to Spurs doing something differently. Spurs could have been two up at half-time, three up at half-time. It could have been 3-1 or something like that. And the game yeah. does feel like it's gone by that point. To go in even at 1-0, I'd have been semi, semi-OK semi with that. To go in at one all and scoring just on the break as well, that changed the game. It did, yeah. It was There wasn't one reason why Villa you know, win that game. There was like six or seven and it felt like it was... a. Uh, almost like a domino effect. It was all Emmy Martinez. You have one of the best, or if not the best goalkeeper in the world, making some top saves that allows Douglas Louise to have the moment, sorry, the moment to produce a, you know, a bit of quality, which he does Torres puts in the back of the net. So those two things already like lined up. And then in the second half, you have Emery, one of the best tacticians in the world. He makes key changes at half time. It, it was like we needed six or seven things to happen in a row for us to win the game, if that makes sense. But that's not like luck. That's just having a good team, having a good manager and being a, bloody good Premier League team. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? This is just what the top teams do. They, they go away from home and they suffer, but then they get out of it and they win. Yeah. That's, yeah. A, that's a good team. It's, it, you know, one half of me is wanting to say something like, oh, you know, Villa got away with one and next time they're going to have to play much better. But I think we're at the stage now where we know that Villa are good and then they will improve and then there's ways to win games that, you know, we don't have to play the same way every time to win three points. Villa, over the course of 38 games, a second in the table or third in the table, Mm-hmm. on goal difference with Arsenal. I don't feel the need to say something like, oh, Matty Cash didn't have a good first half and that weren't good enough and whatever because, you know, these things happen and we can bring a player off the bench like Tielemans and Bailey who can then change the complexion of how we play in the second half. We're just a good team and we've gone away to Tottenham and yeah, again, we've suffered. Yeah, we've come out of it and it, it feels a bit alien but I'm mm. trying to kind of get in the in the kind of the winner's mentality here and be like, yeah, well, you know what? Don't matter. We've won. And that's that's um, the be-all and end-all. And yes, away to Bournemouth next week, we're going to have to play in a very different way. And that's yeah. a game where we do have to control the game, you know, and come out with three points again, of course, hopefully. But against Tottenham, Emery loves to control the match and stuff. But I think it was probably the first press conference where he didn't even say the word control because I just don't think you can, can control that particular game. As you say, what changes Tottenham you know, had to make, which makes it even more difficult to even prepare for that match. But also the kind of uh, players that they were playing in different roles. So it was a very attacking lineup, a very offensive team. In a way, that almost helped him because they were suffocating Villa, weren't they? Villa couldn't build up to move into the final third very often, yet they still created chances. And that's why I was thinking, well, this Tottenham team will create, but they'll also give up um, chances as well. And it was just one of those days where Ollie Watkins um, is 
putting the ball in the back of the net. Um, yeah. You know, he could have had a hat-trick on another day in terms of the VAR decision was so marginal um, for offside. And he obviously scored, but then I think Ben Davis cleared one off the line as well. You know, I don't want to say that he took them all, but he kind of did, you know. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? But then on another day, Watkins might miss the chances, but then this time he did score them. So it was just one of those days, yeah, where Villa were very clinical and efficient in front of goal and what they made. But also, as I say, they showed another way that I think they showed last season, to be fair, in games against like Chelsea, where they were blocking balls, putting their bodies mm-hmm. on the line. And I mean, Martinez, I think he made six saves in all, but I think all six were top saves as well. He didn't just block them. He was clutching the ball out of the top corner, stuff like that. And oh, yeah, just, unbelievable. wow, what a goalkeeper. Villa just like, just did their thing. Just came out and was like, well, yeah, we're going to score now. And that's it. And we've won the game. We go home and like, happy days. It's just, just it's unusual, I guess. I, I still feel no. like a year into Emery that, like you said before, we're just good now. So that's yeah, strange. Like it's, it's, oh, we're going to lose games here and there and we'll get caught and we'll think, yeah. oh, that was an avoidable goal. And oh, I can't have just done this there. And little things like that will happen. But the evidence shows us over the course of a season or the course of a calendar year, Villa are very good. Yeah, and this is why I never get too low with the lows. You can always get too high with the highs because it's an emotional game and Villa have won. We're going to be happy. You know, when we lose to Forest away, those things happen. When Ollie Watkins hits the post in the last kick of the game against Wolves, those things happen. You know, over the course of a season, as you say, then Villa will finish exactly probably where, exactly probably, that doesn't make sense. (laughs) Villa will be finishing where they deserve to finish and that will, at the moment, be in the top five because that's the rate we're going at. We are, we have a bit of daylight between you know, United and Newcastle, teams like those. And if we finish above those two teams, we're in the top five because no one's finishing above them that isn't us. It's not going to be a Chelsea or a Brighton or West Ham, I don't think. I honestly yeah. think that the Villa players right now are just looking, or they looked at Tottenham away. They're looking at uh, Man City at home and Arsenal at home and they're relishing that. Like, honestly, yeah, they, yeah. they must be feeling like, well, we know that we're this good and no one's really given us all the credit so far. It was, you know, even after the Tottenham game, I, I don't know what the conversations were really, but I highly doubt that they were much to do with Villa and that we've they moved into the top four. No. And now that we're two points ahead of Tottenham, Villa players will be looking at Man City and Arsenal and thinking, that's prime time for us. We're going to, you know, put everything into those games and prove why we're, <laughs> I know you might talk about it later, title contenders. We're not title contenders in my opinion, <laughs> but those players want to compete against the very best and we'll just see where it takes us in the next few weeks. Mm. That's the kind of the message, but we're in a fantastic position and to have those games coming up, you know, brilliant. Bournemouth away though next week, I don't doubt that that will be a game that, again, will be difficult because again, I haven't seen this play away from home kind of like a 10 out of 10 as we did last season for you know a few matches um hopefully that's Bournemouth and if it is then brilliant that's um you know that would be a fantastic return six points out of six of course maximum points but against two teams who pose very different problems um play very different ways and again our waveform has been very poor up until now hasn't it so um yeah three really important games coming up and was it nine games, I think, until the new year now as well in all competitions? Mm-hmm. So no no let up, but plenty of opportunities for to win points. Yeah, we are going to look at um, the bigger picture later in the show, but for now it's full focus on Thursday. The Ledger Warsaw game is huge at Villa Park yeah. on, at this Thursday. And then on Sunday, it's a trip to Bournemouth as well, which again, a place we've not fared too greatly over the last uh, couple of years. That's all the focus is at the moment. We'll talk about Man City and Arsenal next Monday uh, on the Monday show, but like I said, we will touch on it a little bit later. 
there's some questions from the audience that I want to insert into the show here. This will take us in all manner of different directions, and we'll come back to look at the Premier League table and the, the title race uh, towards the end of the show. I want to start with one from Ricardo, which uh, I, I replied to him last night when he tweeted me this and said, I think this is a really good point, and it's something I've not really thought about, but I think it's spot on, and I'm keen to see your thoughts on it, John. He says, do you think the linos not flagging for offsides that are often clearly offside affect how people, not least commentators, see a game? So much of the action at Villa's goal ends up being deemed irrelevant via a ridiculously late flag after the attack or a VAR ruling. He said, it first occurred to me in the Forest game the other week when the commentators were unable to understand 95% of any danger Forest cause was actually via dead play, so to speak. And this is something I've not really thought about because we come out of that game going, Spurs had chances in the first half. Spurs had chances to start that game. They could have damaged us. Three of Sons were offside. And I don't know whether yeah, they were marginal or whatever. And I widen this to not just the Spurs game and to any game this season. If you think, oh, they've had chances there, but they could have been flagged at the halfway line and someone's ran through and shot and Martinez has saved or that it's been ruled out or whatever. If that never happened and it was flagged at the halfway line, you don't come out of that game going, oh, Spurs have had chances. But you kind of think, well, Son had three ruled out, so they must have been in it. But if they were flagged earlier and he doesn't even take the shot, you probably assess the game differently and you don't feel like Spurs have had chances because they haven't really because they've been ruled out. Yeah, commentators, I mean, I obviously don't listen to them because I'm at the game, but so I don't know exactly what's been said, but I, I notice it from opposition fans who will say things like, oh, Villa's lying, I can't, you know, we're getting in so many times, all you've got to do is do this and stuff like that. Well, you know, but Villa catch teams offside of, I don't know, like an average of like eight times a game or something. Like yesterday, I'm sure it would have been something similar. It is not good for your ticker though. Like, goodness me. Yeah, again, <laughs> I'm watching it in a different angle in the stadium where I am. God, the amount of times, like the one where the ball bounced off the post and Son just tapped it in and I'm just falling back in my seat and then praying to God that Rob, I think it's Rob Jones, the ref, just puts up his arm and I'm just looking through the fans celebrating. It's, it's horrible to deal with, <laughs> but it gets results. Um, and yeah, in other games where... We basically, I don't know, I wouldn't say bamboozle, but we kind of, we restrict, you know, what, for example, what Forrest were doing. I know we lost the game, but the amount of times where they would kind of run up to our high line and then don't know what to do. And then they knock it forward and yeah, player runs in on goals, scores and it's offside. But it's like, well, that might alter a perception, but ultimately it's um, it's just good defending and it's, it's not a chance because it's offside. It's, it's the rule. So yeah, I think it's a good point that Ricardo makes and certainly it's something I haven't thought about, but. I've, all, I've definitely noticed from opposition fans kind of suggesting mm. that Villa... I'm from pundits, to be fair. You, you see sometimes people saying, oh, Villa will get caught out against the good teams. I think I saw some quotes from Richard Dunn, I think it was, um, in the week saying that Tottenham will punish Villa's high line uh, because it's like reckless and, you know, top quality players will um, get in behind and whatever. And yeah, it didn't work. Question from Kelvin, who says, after Cash's less than confident performance and his fourth booking, could having only one recognised right back be a concern? Yeah, and it was in the summer as well, because, you know, however which way you want to look at, look at it, if Cash gets an injury, then that does hamper what we want to do, because that takes Contra out of the central um, defence, which is a bad thing. Not because he's a poor right back, he's a good right back, I think, but he's one of he's the best in the league. <laughs> league. Yeah. Um, so that is my concern with that one. I think it probably depends on who we play against. Um, mm. Cash, yeah, the likelihood is he probably picks up a booking against Bournemouth, Man City or Arsenal. You just hope that he can play in either Man City or Arsenal because I think we'll need him for those games. You know, Whether he comes off and barely comes on, that's another thing. But in terms of starting the match, I think you need him to um, play in those matches because we need a right back. And my only thing with that 
would be as well, you know, can you play Bailey on the right and play Concer right back? And I'm not sure if that dynamic quite works against those top teams. Again, I prefer Bailey coming off the bench and, you know, causing problems then. So, yeah, it is a problem and he will no doubt pick up another booking next month or whatever it may be before the 19 games and, it's just mm. a problem for how Unai sets up, but I guess these things happen in a season. It's just a shame that it's a position that we are very light in, and yeah, Cons can play there, but as I say, that makes an impact elsewhere in the team. Yeah. And to be fair, I think Carlos actually played well yesterday. Um, I think he's had a decent season, to be honest with you, Carlos. Obviously, he comes in last season, gets a bad injury, so we haven't really paid too much attention to him, but I think his positioning was really good yesterday. He won most of his duels. Um, there's always going to be moments where I don't know you're worrying that either he's going to get turned because he's not particularly quick um, in transition stuff like that. But yeah, I think he's I think he's a good player and certainly a centre back that you know Villa would have put it this way Villa would have a lot more problems should we say if they have um, if they didn't have Carlos in their squad put it that way. I know that sounds very stupid, yeah. but I think we kind of overlook that we have a player who's played in the Europa League, I think in the Champions yeah. League as well, yeah. and he's kind of just there. We kind of forget that we signed him last season <laughs> um, and that he's probably only played what I don't know how many Premier League appearances he's got now but it can't be many I want to say that Diogo Carlos has probably not even played 10 games in the Premier League for so So just based off Wikipedia which I know is not the be all and end all he's made 15 appearances for Villa total so obviously he's played some games in the Europa Conference League so I'm probably right that he's played less than 10 in the Premier League or or maybe just about 10 so yeah Yeah. still still very early doors for Diego Carlos which feels strange to say considering he's been been around for what feels like a little bit now but obviously that massive injury and he's he's all right he's he's decent Diego Carlos just because we mentioned the right hand side um, this isn't a question that was sent to us but something I spotted on social media from MC and it was like a a graphic of the, the lineup yesterday or the starting lineup. And it was the the ratings. Now I don't know what site this is from. I know that it isn't who scored because I recognise it. it. Might be Sofa Score or somewhere somewhere like that. Fuck my six players on the left, if you include Martinez, all got a rating above seven, which is a nice green colour. And all the players on the right got an orange rating, which is below seven. But is there anything in that? Was there something that, that happened yesterday that meant that Villa were more productive down that left hand side than they were on the right? Was it just Yeah, I, no, I, I think it's I think it was, a, it was certainly a massive part of the first half. I think Adolgi was winning this battle with Cash. Villa struggled to occupy spaces behind Conce. So it wasn't Conce's best game and I don't want to kind of pin that on him because he didn't make mistakes. It's just that I think he was, you know, caught in no man's land quite a few times because himself and Cash kind of struggled to pick up between themselves, mm-hmm. Gil, Adolgi, there's different runs and it was just one of those games where I think you know, in hindsight, Emery, yeah, Tottenham haven't played exactly like that with those players um, this season, really. So, you know, in hindsight, if Emery had the luxury of watching that game and then playing them next week or something, I'm, I'm sure tactically we would have done something quite drastically different, especially to mark those right-hand channels. You know, fair play to Angie, you know, noticed that and probably predicted that Villa would go with the uh, three centre-backs and that's why he probably went so um, offensive in the game. Uh, and on the left, yeah, mo- almost all of our build-up was going down the left, weren't it? Especially in the first half. So, mm-hmm. um, Luke Dean, again, for me, played very well. We, every time he was in a battle, he kind of came out with the ball every time. Um, so, yeah, played very well. Was it Louise uh, that was on the green side there, Dan, as well? I'm yeah. sure he should be. <laughs> yeah. Um, Louise, again, just top-notch, brilliant player. And, yeah, Torres, I think, played very well, too. Again, there's going to be moments where Torres doesn't win every tackle and whatever, but considering how aggressive Spurs were in their press in our final third the way he just moves the ball so easily it's brilliant to watch especially live as well because you again I always say you get a better perspective of what of how mm. quick the game is moving um, 
and just how good Torres is on the ball. So yeah, it definitely wasn't a coincidence that Villa were kind of left their left hand side was um, better rated, I suppose you'd say. But yeah, the changes at half time uh, were key for me, and then Villa get their goal, and then you know it's kind of back against the wall. But they yeah they suffered and come away with three points, so it doesn't really matter that some players might not have played the best game like Diaby. Didn't really notice him apart from when he had a good chance at the end of the half. Watkins slipped him in, it probably could have been a better pass, maybe. But um, yeah, ultimately, it doesn't matter. This is why you have a squad, some players underperform sometimes, and tactically, it isn't you know spot on. But then, Emery, the full match lasts 90 minutes, and you've got half time in the middle, so there's plenty of time to make alterations and changes. It's just nice that yep. you have a squad that are capable of um, stepping up as well. For those that are watching on YouTube, I apologize that I appear distracted with my phone that keeps buzzing with updates from the nursery. But John, I am listening to you, I promise I am listening to your answers. Yeah. Uh, you just mentioned DRB there, and there's a couple of questions on him, so we'll do those at the same time. From Mountain Man, who says, What's going on with DRB? Seems very flat lately. Where's the next level class we had early on? And Pagey, who says, are we getting the best out of Moussa Diaby? And how do we get the best out of him? He's not quite on his game and the sharpness on the ball is not there. How do you assess Diaby? Do you think he's gone off the ball a little bit or is that a touch harsh? I don't know. Like, when he first joined, I feel like that was it. He hit the ground running and he was getting goals and assists in most games, contributing. And that was the kind of feeling around Diaby. How a Villa got this player. I can't believe no one else signed him. But then he doesn't kind of contribute too much in the last couple of games or whatever it may be. And it kind of flips the other way of, oh, why is he so out of form? And I just think that's that's football. Um, next week against Bournemouth, he might score the winner and play out of his skin. And I all of so. a sudden, we, 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 I just, I, you know what I mean? Uh, football's, um, football changes quickly. And yeah, I, I don't think there's any one reason or tactical reason why the RB isn't playing as well. Uh, it's what it was at the start of the season. I'm, I'm not worried at all by it. He's him and Ollie Watkins have still got the second most chances created for each other. That's that. I think Derby is still going to be in the team sheet every week. Yeah. Um, I don't know if he's carrying an injury potentially. That could be something. I don't know that for sure. But I noticed well, that John McGinn said that a couple of others were um, kind of carrying knocks and kind of going through going through the pain barrier as well. So I don't know if that's Derby. Yeah. I know he went through the pain barrier against Wolves a few weeks ago or months ago now. So yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was. I was sorry. I was about to interject there because I didn't think you'd have seen that yesterday. I'm again saying a couple, a couple of lads who've been through the pain barrier this afternoon, and I wondered whether DRB was one of those. Maybe Cash is one of those who, who we just said didn't have a great game. There's always, well, there's possibly reasons why players don't have a great game besides that they haven't got the best of their their opponent on the pitch or something. It could be a mental thing. It could be a physical injury. Whatever it is. A lot of things going on for these players as well. Yeah. We, we probably tend to forget that when someone has a bad game, we just go, oh, bad footballer. It's not the case. There's, there's, there's probably a reason why. And, yeah, and players are going to form soon. Yeah, players going to dip out, dip in and dip out of form. But over the course of the season, if we do anything this season, which I think we will, he'll play a key part. And yeah, yeah, absolutely. Let's get a nonsense question out of the way then from Ben. I'm pretty sure I recognise that Ben always sends a silly question, which I'm a fan of, uh, and there wasn't any silly questions last week, so let's get this one in there. With it now less than a month until Christmas, if you could invite four players over for Christmas dinner, who are you picking and why? Now, my personal opinion towards Christmas is it should only ever really be talked about in December. It's only the 27th of November today, and I do always say I can never think about Christmas until my birthday's out of the way. November is my birthday month. I'll think about Christmas. No trees up in November, no, no nonsense like that. So really, we should be doing the Christmas dinner question next week. But as we've got it, we'll do it now. Four players, past or present, I guess. Is there anyone who immediately jumps out to mind that you'd want around the Christmas dinner table? John McGinn. <laughs> yeah. John McGinn wearing the turkey. <laughs> yeah, coming as the turkey in his turkey costume. Um, 
yeah, it gets stuck into Christmas dinner as well. Did you see that thing? Uh, this is on a side note. Did you see that thing about Madison saying he likes to control the Sunday roast? Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. That's just, Strange. I don't know what the context was with that, but I'm sure there was very little context. That, <laughs> what, what question was he asked when, when he came out with that answer? I don't know. John McGinn's definitely a good shout. Um, I don't know, you know, it's difficult. Four players is quite a lot. Now, as a side note, we're having Christmas alone for the first time this year now that we I mean we've lived on our own for a couple of years but obviously we've got the baby this year his first Christmas so rather than trying to please everyone and go to my half of the family I'll go to my partner's half of the family we've said yeah. we're just going to stay at home at Christmas this year so it's only going to be the three of us so I don't really think I'd like to encroach on that by inviting any Villa players to it because it would just be weird so that's my cop-out answer John of why I'm not inviting any Villa players to find <laughs> can you think of anyone else to put you under pressure I feel like this answer could be easily interpreted as quite offensive to players that might have been carrying when they were <laughs> when they were playing for Villa I don't know um I'm sure Gabby likes a Christmas dinner or liked a Christmas dinner he looks in really good shape now to be fair these days better shape than when he was at Villa I think and who else so we got John McGinn we got a Bon Lahore. yeah that's my side of the uh that's my side of it Dan who have you got <laughs> I'd like to invite you know just for like a, if I'm gonna have something on Christmas Day can I have a bit of like just chat to me about football yeah, who and I maybe just bring Gerard along as well and just see what happens. Oh, see what no, see what no, notes no. he could take. <laughs> no, no, no. Stephen Gerard. No, um, mate, I mean, if we're going off managers, I'm sure uh, Brucey. Have, have you seen that video? What he's asking? Oh, what did you say about the bacon? <laughs> Whatever it is. <laughs> How's the bacon? Did you see it? Yeah, How's the bacon? Did you say? That's that's the worst Geordie accent. <laughs> that probably ever existed. Yeah, yeah we, You did send me this as I was. I don't know what I was doing. I was on the train tapping some workout and um, I completely forgot. So we had we had preparation, but I've forgotten. You came out with a cop-out answer, so just leave it in the comment section. Who did we get in the end? Bruce, Emery. <laughs> oh, and Gabby. Having Bruce. Let's have Dino, Emery, McGee, and Gabby. You'd have Bruce there? I feel like he'd eat everything. <laughs> All right, let's move on. It's just it's rude, isn't it, at this point? Ben, thanks for your question. Well, I didn't say that a minute ago. It's going to be offensive, would it? Like... <laughs> Right, back to football. <laughs> Simon Davis, although to be fair, this is nonsense in my opinion. How concerned are we with the links for Douglas Louise? If he doesn't go in January, I'm confident he won't. The vultures will certainly be circling in the summer. Are you worried about Douglas Louise leaving at any point, John? No, it would take a, a, a mammoth offer. I don't know, like a record January offer um, from presumably Arsenal. I know there's other clubs that are interested, but he ain't leaving unless... Um, massive offer would come in every player is available for transfer in terms of if you put up a certain amount of money then that opens conversation that's business but uh no not unless a massive offer comes in which i don't think will because jesus i mean arsenal spent a lot of money recently um no i don't know if you're paying what do they pay for Havertz? 60 70 million something like that come on you know you you gotta be paying at least 100 million in january um and even then saving then why would you accept it then because that, that same offer will just apply in the summer when the season's finished and you know why would you disrupt the um the campaign that Villa are having already but yeah the summer's a different question again if Villa get can get in the Champions League remarkably um then obviously they have a lot more power uh, in keeping their best players but you know if not there's always going to be a conversation around Louise who's a top player but as I said previously Villa are have got all the uh, power in these situations with all their players. It wouldn't surprise me if in the summer quite a few clubs try and come in for their players because you know Villa are a club that have kind of come from nowhere really. Um, championship five years ago, so something's going right, and it's um, not all down to Emery. Their players 
his price story about to take things on board and mm. performing very well. We have probably the best goalkeeper in the world, for example. There's a lot of clubs that would take Emmy Martinez, Ollie Watkins, John McGinn. Uh, sorry, not John McGinn. John McGinn ain't going nowhere. Douglas Louise. Um, but these players have all committed their futures. Do you know what I mean? So there'll be interest. But that's as far as it goes. As, you know, as far as Villa will be concerned, especially in January. The summer's a different thing because, as I say, teams offer money for players. Um, yeah. And it just depends how much money. Um, but yeah, Villa won't want to entertain any offers. Next question is from Sam. He says, you can only do one of these this season to choose your priority. You can win the FA Cup. You can win the Europa Conference League. Or you can qualify for the Champions League for next season. What do you go for? And I replied on Twitter and I said, easy. I'll tell you on the podcast. Go on. Champions League qualification. My reason I, for that is, and I know that the, the football is about winning trophies and I saw somebody reply yeah. saying like, Tottenham got in the Champions League and it wasn't enough for Harry Kane and he wanted to win something and he left and yada, yada, yada. And I get that. Our players will want to win trophies as well. My reasoning is probably a little bit more, more short term than, than anything that because of the players we just mentioned like Douglas Luiz, Martinez, Ollie Watkins we want to hold on to them as I've said before you qualify for the Champions League you reach a status that Villa are not currently at you can attract different players you can keep hold of players and I feel like if you can only pick one let's just say a trophy Conference League League Cup FA Cup one of those or the Champions League I feel like if you win a trophy you're no closer to getting into the Champions League because you've won a trophy. It's a one-season thing and it's gone. I feel like if you get into the Champions League, that edges you closer to winning a trophy because if you get in the Champions League, you can get better players. So better players will get you closer to winning a trophy in the future. So the very short-term thing is I want to keep hold of our best players. I want to sign new, better players as well. And being a Champions League club gives you the pedigree to do that rather than just winning a trophy which I fully agree is a, is a big thing in football and you should want to win as many things as possible but the way football is now centred around the top four and, and the money it brings for Villa to keep doing what they're doing and have the revenue income streams etc Villa needs to be a Champions League club so that's why I've picked my answer that's my um, explanation of it as well I think I don't know, a couple of months ago, probably because I didn't think that Villa could get into the Champions League uh, and it's still obviously a long way to go yet in this season but I was yeah, very much sure the I'd do anything to win the Conference League, not because I've said it before. I don't believe the Conference League is anything prestigious or anything like that. But Villa's next step is the, the you know the Europa League, and also ticks the box of winning a trophy. Whether you think the Conference League is particularly, um, you know, but yeah, it allows Villa to get to their next level. Um, the Champions League, however, is a different platform altogether. You know, that sets that can set a club up for years of success and as you say Dan I feel like at the Champions League this season then well the next season they can compete for silverware as well the only thing I'd say is that obviously winning the Champions League would be bloody difficult of course that's like out. why am I even saying that <laughs> um Carabao Cup FA Cup are we going to take those ones seriously or not next season I don't know we obviously lost all three of the domestic league game domestic cup games we played in the Emery um so I feel like the Conference League is the easiest thing it's not easy but it would it's the um easier cup that we could win I think but yeah the Champions League gives you those revenue streams it allows you to become one of those clubs um, if you ask Nassif Suarez he'd say Champions League straight away you know you look at Tottenham they don't have the kind of um, wealthy owners like we have if that makes sense however what they do have is they have a structure now you know I go to the stadium yesterday the training ground is one of the best in uh, the world as well but they are now set up for if they want it years and decades of just sustainable top seven competing European football that didn't make sense but 
they're always in that conversation because they've got everything now. They've got the best stadium, um, top training facilities. They've got constant revenue streams as long as they keep making Europe, but, which they will do because they've got the players that will want to play for that club because it's in London, mm. which is a big yeah. thing which Villa don't have. But Villa, by getting the Champions League, can build and build. Um, it just gives you access to that. If we win the Conference League, then fantastic. You know, I'm not... <laughs> Jesus, that, that's brilliant. Um, but yeah, the Champions League is just another level that that is the access to the elite, basically. Um, yeah. Certain clubs make use of it, certain clubs don't, but I, I'm no doubt that we would. Um, like Newcastle, for example, them getting in the Champions League is massive for them. And to be honest with you, they're backed by, you know, the people who they're backed by. So I feel like success is only going to happen anyway. It's kind of a, it's going to happen, lads. You may as well just prefer, prepare for it. Like, I, see, I'm going off on a tangent here, but when they lost to Brighton earlier in the season and the fans were like, chanting and celebrating and it was kind of seen as like our oh, great support and it's like yeah that is true but also they know that they're going to win the Premier League in a few years it's just going to happen so um, yeah it's, but for us it's different I feel because we're we have no right to be here <laughs> really uh, yes we've spent money but we've spent money again as we've said previously because we had to uh, to stay in the league etc and yeah the way that we go in the Champions League would just give us that next you know platform and yeah there's a long way to go yet so I'm not going to get ahead of myself but yeah, long story short, I would say Champions League, although it, I'd take any of the offers, really. Yeah, of course, I'd be ecstatic if we won a trophy. We're still in the FA Cup this year, of course, as well. We could we could win the FA Cup or the Conference League within the next six months or so. I would obviously love that. I just want to pick you up on something you said at the end there. You said that Villa have got no right to be doing what they're doing. Why is that? Why has any club got a right to be towards... No, the it didn't, why, why couldn't Villa do that? Right. What I mean is we're competing against teams and clubs that have almost infinite resources Chelsea spent a billion quid <laughs> in two years that's just mad like and, yeah, I know, I know. and then they're saying oh but we need a striker now what I'm trying to say is that competing against that if it's done right is impossible Chelsea spent that much money and they don't get it right that's on them but to have those resources to then say in the summer I oh, will just spend another 200 million Villa can't mm. do that we just can't yeah. it's impossible even with the Champions League that's a bit of a stretch um Man United have got, you know, infinite resources. Chelsea got infinite resources. Tottenham, as I said previously, they're always going to be there. Newcastle are backed by the wealthiest owners in the world. Uh, who else have you got there? Fifth place. Man Liverpool are always, Liverpool always going to be up there. Man City, for God's sake, that's six. And who's the seventh team that I've missed out? Arsenal. They were competing for the league last year and like a couple of points away. So for Villa to be where they are, it's mental. I know we're backed by incredible owners who have only done good things for the club and we've got a fantastic manager. But as Emery says, he puts it in a different way by saying we're not contenders for the top seven. I can't take that seriously because we're good and we're, after 38 games, uh, third in the table or whatever. So we are contenders, of course we are. But what he's trying to say in another way is we should not be here by the resources that we've got, by the squad that we've got. Yes, it's good and it's going great mainly because of Emery. What we have compared to other teams it really is night and day and we're trying to get to that level but we are so far behind in terms of infrastructure and revenue streams and stuff like that we are genuinely far behind we that's why we're saying champions league because that is what you need to get to get to that level winning the trophy is fantastic but at the moment we're still seen as the you know amongst the west hams amongst maybe it's just some west ham to be fair but i can't think of any of the teams at the moment uh brighton yeah, Brighton, um, they do it in a very different way. Their infrastructure is far less than ours, but they do it in a different way. Yeah, maybe Brighton kind of coupled in that group, aren't we? Because we're the level beneath the top seven in terms of what we can do, for example, um, yeah, yeah, with what yeah. we've got, put it that way. So that's why we're, I don't want to say we're punching above our weight because we have the players and we're proving that we're good enough. But 
those are the clubs should I don't want to say blow us out of the water, but they have the infrastructure and stuff to do that. Chelsea should be competing with the league if they spend two billion. Newcastle mm. should compete for the league because their owners are worth all the money in the world. Liverpool are there, Man City are there, Man United are Man United. They're not run well, but again, infinite resources. It's the level that Villa are competing at. They're competing against, you know, bloody governments and countries. It's crazy. We're what we are and the players that we have on the bench and stuff. Great. We can bring on Leon Bailey and Yuri Tielemans. But then you put it in perspective of what, you know, other clubs can do. You know, Tottenham missing all their players, yet they still give us a great game and probably should have beat us. So it's just fantastic what we're doing. But there's such a long way to go. That that's why, you know, it, it makes it all the more sweet that we're doing this. But it's all about kind of staying level-headed with it because, for example, Man United, they've had a bad season, but they're, what, a couple of points behind us or something? <laughs> you know, it's, it's yeah, never bad. It's never too bad for these clubs. It makes me laugh when Tottenham fans were, like, booing Levy and stuff last year in that stadium from what they've had. They've had Champions League football for years and years. Look at Everton now. Look at where Villa were. It's mad. You know, mm. be careful what you wish for. You, th- those clubs are now consolidated top seven as in infrastructure for years and years and years. And no one's going to break that unless Villa can get Champions League and continue to push the way that they're going. And it could be, a, as Villa put it, a great eight. That's their thing. Instead of a big six, they want to be part of an eight. I don't know what the question was, but that's the kind of... That's where we no. are. Your your reasoning is fair. I think that was just the way you worded it was wrong. I don't like the idea that a club's spending a lot of money so they, yeah, they have yeah. a right to be up there. You you play football on the pitch. Yeah, you weren't that right. If, yeah. you, if you, you spend you spend money, doesn't give you the right to be in the top four because you've got to put that put that squad together with a good manager and get them ticking. And that's what Emery's been able to do with players that are already here. He's, he's not had a billion pounds to spend. He hasn't had to spend a fortune to get Villa competing. That also doesn't give the, the right to be better than anyone else. You play 38 games against the teams around you and you finish where you finish. Uh, and that happens every single season. And I get that you're competing with states and, and, and whatever else. And that's obviously going to be very difficult to compete against. But they still have to put it right on the pitch as well. And that's also not not easy or a God-given right that you just have to be at the top because you've got the most money. It's it's a point that Villa, to get continual success, I'm talking you know, after Emery's gone, for example, Tottenham will still be up there. Newcastle will still be up there. All those teams will be up there. It's, it, those seven teams will always be capable of next season pushing for Champions League. Put it that way. For example, Chelsea next season could get in the Champions League and there's no debate about that. Could Crystal Palace do it who are in the same position as Chelsea? No. But mm. Villa, yeah. to be in those conversations year after year after year, need to have access to those revenue streams and need to have access to that infrastructure and whatever else may follow. So, um, that's the important thing at the moment. It is we are beneath those clubs by quite a considerable margin, by revenue streams, etc. And ultimately, money is what earns. You know, Wolves had had it good for a few seasons. So did Leicester. Yeah, of course, Leicester's when they the Leicester now in the Championship. Wolves have been battling relegation. Uh, West Ham had a bad season last season, and I feel like they can make it better because they're in London and they've been in the league for a while. But you know what? I'm, the point I'm trying to make of some clubs can have a one bad season, but then they'll be right up there the next year. If Villa have a bad season, there's no given right that they'll be there the year after. Whereas that's where we want to be. I know it's a very I'm wording it not very well, but I think you can. We want to be part of that eight. And at the moment, we're not, but we can be. And that's the kind of point I'm trying to make. We are on the pitch at the moment because we're better than some of those eight. But as you say, if Villa had a bad year, Moment. they haven't got the, yeah. the ability to go and spend 500 million to fix it. Whereas Newcastle could yeah. if they wanted well, for to. Example, exactly. Or for example, when Emery goes, which could be five years, 10 years, I don't know, whenever it may be, that replacing that and going after that 
would be very much more difficult if we don't have access to infrastructure and revenue streams of those of the clubs. For example, if Eddie Howe loses five on the bounce, Newcastle replace him, and then they continue to you know continue on their climb. Newcastle, uh, sorry, Chelsea, if they replace a manager and spent more money, at some point it's going to probably work, right? And same as Man United, wh- whoever it may be. There's those clubs never have it bad for long. They really don't other teams who can't just bounce back straight away. They need other things and Villa will hope to, as I say, be in that conversation uh, under Emery and that's that's his that's his role at the club basically to make us mm. into one of those elite teams. Yeah, let's move on. Uh, a stat from AVFC Stato. Aston Villa have earned 77 points in Unai Emery's first 38 games in charge, having just won only 44 points in their previous 38 games in the Premier League, which is unbelievable. Uh, pretty much doubled uh, Villa's output over the course of the season. Radioactive Duck, brilliant name, said, it's six games until we've played everybody once. That's Bournemouth, Brentford, Man United, City, Arsenal and Sheffield United. How many points are you expecting from those six games? We said earlier we'd look uh, slightly further ahead, and I meant those six games rather than you yeah. talking about post Emery <laughs> down the line a couple of yeah, minutes yeah. ago. Um, as part of that question, we're just going to have a very quick look at the league table. Change the background to get the league table up then very quickly. Um, it's the first time we've done this by displaying the league table from the Premier League website. Aston Villa now in the top four with 28 points. I mean, no Villa fan won't have been looking at this over the last 24 hours or so. This won't be oh, news yeah. to anybody. Uh, two points clear of Spurs, which again, as we said before, Spurs beat us yesterday, which they very easily could. Spurs are now on 29 points and Villa are on 25. And you kind of go, well, there's a bit of a gap now to the top four in the, yeah. in the, in the other way. Uh, Villa have got a four-point gap on Manchester United, a five-point gap on Newcastle, and a six-point gap on Brighton. I'm only reading this out, by the way, for the people that are just listening. Obviously, I'm only reading what people can see here. Level on points with Liverpool, one point behind Manchester City, and two points behind top of the league, Arsenal. John? Are Villa in the title race? Yes or no? <laughs> oh, God. Uh, I'm answering it as of Monday, uh, the 27th of November, and I'll say no at the moment because um, there's just no. God, you're horrible. You are. There's what no. Uh, there's no. <laughs> because it's just so. I know I'll get hate for it probably. Um, the next six, I said weeks ago, I only look at the table really after the first 19 games. Villa haven't played the top two teams in the league yet. And I'm not even like talking about the title race. I'm just talking where will we be after those games? If we win them both, we beat Bournemouth, we get points elsewhere as well in those next six games. We'll probably be top of the league after 19 games, top by Christmas well, maybe. If we and I just... don't think that's going to happen, but if it does, well, God, yeah. Talk about it because we're there after 19 games and all the evidence is there. You should have seen me yesterday during the game. Um, <laughs> all the evidence is there then, but we're six games beneath that. How many points is that? Or six times? Uh, six times three. 18. There's 18 points to play for before I really want to look at the table and take it in. That's so many points. And yeah, we played the top teams, you know, Arsenal and Man City. Um, we obviously then play them away in the next half of next season, which is going to be very tough. So, we, we played them four times in terms of them both. Uh, <laughs> so obvious. <laughs> Great insight. We're in the top four at the moment. We'll just see what happens. I know that's not the answer you want. You, will, you probably want to clip me up saying, yeah, we're in a title race and <laughs> this is going to happen. And yeah, we might be if we get good results in the next six games. And even then I'm going to say, well, no, because we've got 19 games left to play and what's going to happen in the conference league when we play in the knockouts and what will happen to the pressure. And these players have never even done that before, let alone going for the Champions League. So, mate, I'm still looking at that top five. That's that's my 
my aim. I, I said a few weeks ago I'd take sixth and I'm not moving away from that necessarily. I, I want to get Champions League football because we've just ranted about it's so important for a football club um, to get to that level. So I'm still looking at Newcastle and Man United. Can we finish above both of those or Newcastle and Tottenham? Those are the two teams. Like I'm not really looking at fourth. I'm looking at well, what's the gap between us and Newcastle, between us and Man United. Have we extended that gap this this weekend? And we haven't, but we've maintained it. And Man City play uh, Tottenham next and Manchester United play Newcastle next. So if mm. we can beat Bournemouth, we're gaining points in the top six, top seven race argument, whatever it may be. Um, but that's my thing. We need to finish above two of those three teams, Tottenham, Man United, Newcastle, and we got Champions League football. That's my goal talking about title talk and stuff is not something I'll be entertaining unless we do something wild in the next couple of weeks. Calling me horrible for asking about the title. Of course, title race. <laughs> I, I, I put the question list there on Twitter. I just put title race, question mark. And a few people were like, yeah, why not? Like, we're two points off the top. We're, we're one win away if results go away from being top. We're an Ollie Watkins goal in the last minute of Wolves from being top. We're one win away right, from being top. So, if Villa yeah, were tough on the final, if Villa were tough on the final day of the season, you, every, even if we were and we were top by two points, you'd still think, "I oh, will blow that." <laughs> so we're talking about it after the thirteen games. It's ludicrous. I know, I know. Of course, I, I, I've put in a secondary tweet. Obviously not, by the way. And people are like, "Well, why not?" But yeah, obviously Villa aren't in the title race. Man City are going to win the league. They'll get to a point. That, yes, they drop points at the moment, and maybe they'll drop points at Villa Park in, in uh, next week. But they'll go to a stage where John Stones come back, they win 15 games in a row and they win the league. That's what they always do, right? So they'll do that in the second half of the season. There is a case to say that, and I said this last week and I will stand by it, second to seventh, I genuinely think the clubs there could finish in any order. Yeah, I think based on what we've seen, I'd just put it as the top three will be in the top five, put it that way. Like, no, uh, sorry, mm. Arsenal, Liverpool and Man City will probably be the top three, I think, because Liverpool go toe-to-toe with Man City the other weekend, didn't they? And they look good. But I get your point. I just think those three teams are there and it's between us, Tottenham, Newcastle, Man United and... For fourth. I don't think so. For fourth and fifth, yeah. Mm. Yeah, I think which that's is, probably fair. Like. Which is great. You know, I'm... Of course, yeah, yeah. Let's give it a go. <laughs> yeah, the 2023 table is Man City at the top with 82 points. Arsenal second with 71 points. Uh, Villa third with 71 points. We're only, sec- we're only third by goal difference, which is by Arsenal scoring 10 more goals than us. We've conceded exactly the same amount. We've won more games than Arsenal with one. They've drawn three more games than us. We're ahead of right. Liverpool by four points. We're ahead of Man United by four points. We're ahead of Newcastle by 11 points. And as we said, they beat us earlier in the season. Liverpool beat us earlier in the season. Yeah, Tartar race, of course, sound ridiculous but we talk about that next six games 18 points available if Filler get 10 points from 18 again I'm not saying that's enough to be in the title race but it's certainly bloody enough to be around this top four conversation still and if we're at the halfway point of the season and Villa are still fourth or fifth yeah we're, we're well in it sorry to annoy you who have we got in the next six again it's for context of how it goes I will include the European games so the next six Premier League games with the European games dotted in is Legia Warsaw first then Bournemouth away Man City at home and Arsenal at home in the space of a week. Sunday, Wednesday, Saturday. Then you've got a Thursday game against Zwinsky Moscow away from home where Villa will hopefully have already topped the group and we can have that as a bit of a rest. Then you come back on the Sunday for Brentford away. Sheffield United at Villa Park on the following Friday. So this is the 22nd of December. You've got Man United at Old Trafford on Boxing Day at 8 o'clock kickoff. And then you've got Burnley at Villa Park on Saturday the 30th of December. Burnley and Sheffield United will win. Yeah. I must say, those those away games fill me with a bit of dread. <laughs> Brentford away is 
hard, very difficult game. Very, very difficult game. A game that I'd probably just take a point in. Man United away is always difficult. Old Trafford, their their record is just very good. You know, we say we're good at home, which we we are with them very well. Uh, Thirteen home wins in a row, etc. Um, but United regularly post runs of winning six or seven in a row usually. So at Old Trafford, you very rarely get much. And Bournemouth away, I just think is a bit of a banana skin. That's going to be tough next weekend. And Villa again are going to have to prove something. So. I'm almost thinking if we win one of those, that wouldn't even be that bad. But then you look at Man City at home, Arsenal at home. If you win one of those, that wouldn't be bad. So I do think wins will be difficult to come by in the next month or so. I do. That's nothing against Villa. Villa are an exceptional team, but they're very difficult games. If you beat Bournemouth, then brilliant. But then Arsenal, Man City, win one of those, you know, winning one would just be great. So there's two. But then Brentford away is very difficult. It is Man United away is very difficult. And then obviously you've got to win Burnley and Sheffield United. But over the course of that, I think Villa would definitely sustain the top seven. Of course they would. But yeah, to be in the top four, top five after that run, I think that would be very... Um, very encouraging. It's the busy festive period, isn't it, where other teams would also drop points where you don't expect them to. Like I've just picked Newcastle, for example, here. Obviously, when we're talking yeah. about the Europa Conference League games dropped in, they've got Champions League games dropped in against PSG and Milan. Um, they've got they've got Man United, Everton, Tottenham, um, Fulham, Luton, Forest, Liverpool on New Year's Day. So, you know, maybe Newcastle drops some points there. Um, all the teams will drop points. It's just... It's, it's, will, yeah. It's, it's just sustaining it over the season. Villa don't have to have a magnificent December when they pull even further away from Newcastle. It's just sustaining it and sustaining it. Yeah. And then you come to February, March, April, remember March and April, that time where we're also competing in the, in the Conference League. That's when, as I said before, Villa will be tested and it will be a case of, right, this is the, this is the I don't know, 10, 12 last games of the season, whatever it may be, go for it. And that's what it is. I, I've said before, I don't doubt Villa will be in the top six, top five, that sort of position. We'll be near Champions League football come yeah. those months, I think, unless we you know, have a bad January or something and we get injuries, I don't know. But I don't doubt we'll be there. It's just how we react to the end of the season. Those last 10 games, the last few months of the campaign, that 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 will be the difference, I think. Um, juggle, juggling with the uh, Conference League, you know, how much we want to win that compared to Champions League, that sort of thing. I think that will be the test for us this season. Villa will deserve to be where they finish at the end of the season and I think that will be about fifth or sixth you just hope it's edging towards fifth <laughs> again it's like the perception we said before Spurs that we said four points from Spurs and Bournemouth and if that yes. was a point at Spurs and you beat Bournemouth you go okay that's fine yeah. but because you beat Spurs if you draw to Bournemouth now you think oh that's disappointing but it's the same points return that we'd have been happy with if the results were flipped so there's now probably more expectation that we should be beating Bournemouth away because we beat Spurs away but we know football doesn't work like yeah, that, that. But the fact that we're even having this conversations about title races or the top four even let alone the top five and winning six out of nine games or whatever it is yeah. shows how far we've come and how exciting this whole period is for everyone involved John, thank you so much for your time this afternoon. Thanks for everyone for your comments and your questions earlier in the show. We'll be back uh, later in the week for the Europa Conference League game against Legia Warsaw, where we'll do a post-match show either late Thursday night or Friday morning, which will also be a preview for Bournemouth as well. Uh, so stay tuned to Claret and Blue. Thank you so much for watching. Thank you, John, for your time. And we'll see you soon.